So, I think, I think I'll be able to do it today. I think I'll be able to finish. So, except for my poor, long-suffering, beloved wife, has anybody else made it to all of them? All of, all 11 parts of Philippians? Anybody else? You're all smarter than she is. Well, she had to. You see, that's the thing. She didn't have any choice. She had to be here. So it is. Um, this is this is great. This is a a tremendous uh, experience to have been able to share this entire book with you. Uh, and one of the things that I'm hoping that 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 you got out of it is recognizing that this is something that you can do. That that studying the scriptures inductively is not something that's, that requires a degree. It just simply requires the ability and the desire to um, ask questions, to look at the scriptures. And <laughs> I'm making it difficult on you, John, uh, to uh, look at the scriptures and ask <laughs> and see what the Holy Spirit has to say. Now, you can go ahead and hand those out. Lord, uh, we just want to invite you. I want to invite you to, um, to be here, to be present. It's all about you, Jesus, the great Emmanuel, the great one who was with us, the great one who is in us and for us and all of that. You are so amazing, Jesus. Thank you for being who you are for us. Hallelujah. All right, so before we start, I just again wanted to, um, to, to hawk my uh, Wednesday classes. The, um, I believe that I've given Pastor Greg the, the titles of the two textbooks for the first one. And so at some point in time, he will share that information with you. And the reason why I bring that up is it would be really great to have those two, those two books before uh, that so you get a chance to start reading them. And neither of them are quick reads. They're reads that will probably take, the, take you the rest of your life. I mean, I have, the, I have those two books on, my, on the stand when I hang out with the Lord, right where I, my chair is, and I refer to them very often. Okay, so uh, just a real quick, again, because we want to maintain, we have to make sure we understand the context of the situation, the historical background of the book of Philippians, written by Paul to the church in Philippi around 62 AD, 11th book of the New Testament. Paul was at Philippi in his second journey. The letter was initiated by a gift that was given to Paul through Epaphroditus, who had had some life-threatening illness. Paul then sends his letter back with Epaphroditus, and so it's a thank you note. And it's, just, it's good for we, that we understand that. Now, the last time, which was last week, which I warned you, <laughs> the last time we had some good things to talk about that Paul brought, brought forward, the whole concept of a citizen of, of, of heaven, the concept of rejoicing always in the Lord, the, uh, the concepts of not being anxious, 
and the whole thing of prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. So, so what Paul is doing, I think, is he's creating, he's creating this, this situation, this, this scenario, this sequence of events that he is, he is going to culminate. And this is going to come to a completion in one simple statement that I think most of us have misunderstood because we pull it out of context. We pull it out of context and we use it as a banner that we wave and that we wonder why it doesn't work, which is oftentimes true with a lot of promises in the scriptures. So Paul is setting, he's setting us up. He is, I, I am amazed at the kind of educator that Paul is. He is a consummate teacher. He knows how to create a scenario. He knows how to bring his audience right where he wants them and then gets them. So we have an opportunity to kind of experience that as well. So that's important that we, we, we revisit again the whole thing of standing firm and in what or whom do we stand firm? In the Lord. We stand firm in the Lord. In what or in whom do we rejoice? Remember the song? Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. We rejoice in the Lord. Thank you, thank you. We rejoice in the Lord, and, and then the, uh, and he's going to add a few other ins. We already know about the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard our hearts and minds. Where? In Christ Jesus. And he's going to add a couple more of those at this point in time. So he's building through, and this is important. So we've got a, we've got a few things that that uh, that that he's doing for us. Okay, so now we press on, and then he says this: after having said, "Guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus," and then he says, "Finally, finally, brothers, how am I doing? Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, <laughs> honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Wow. He's really thrown a lot of stuff at us that we're going to need to just kind of take apart a little bit here. First of all, the word finally. In the term that Paul is using, it's not, it's not meant the last, but it is the next thing. Once we've done all these, now do this. Now do this. We've done all of these things. We started from stand firm, Lord, yada, 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 yada. Finally, now do this. And these are the things that we have to do. We have to think about these things. Now, most of these, we, we kind of, they, they make sense in English, but... But let's just walk through the Greek, the Greek definitions just because they're there. So, true, not concealed, worthy of credit. Now, again, these are not English definitions. These are going to the, to the, uh, the Greek word that's translated that particular word and then expanding that. 
So just so we have an idea, I'm not, I'm not translating the English here, we're translating the Greek term. I just didn't put the Greek words in. Honorable, venerable, worshipable, reputable, serious, dignified, august. Just, equitable, fair, innocent, holy, upright, righteous, pure, chaste, modest, innocent, blameless, properly clean, modest. Do I have that twice? Lovely, friendly, grateful, acceptable, pleasing, agreeable, friendly towards, commendable, of good omen, auspicious, laudable, reputable, well-reported. See, those are some words that we would not necessarily always use to define those English words. But there are a lot of things in here that are worth just thinking about and just spending some thought on. And then he says, if there is any excellence, goodness, good quality of any kind, moral goodness, eminent endowment, manliness, or virtue, valor, worthy of praise, worthy of applause, honor paid, approval, fame, commendable thing. What are we to do with these things? We are to think about these things. Now, thinking is an active thing. See, now we have to remember, why is he saying this to us? Because he just told us to do what? Now, we see, we have to sow this from last week to this week. What did he ask? What did he tell us to do? Don't be anxious. But in everything with prayer, relationship with Jesus, with, and supplication and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Okay, so that was what he said. And then he says, finally, think about these things. So what you're doing is you are not being anxious. You're pulling something out of your brain. And Paul says, put something else in. Do you see? See, he doesn't just tell you to stop doing this. He tells you to stop doing this and do this instead. Being anxious is an aspect of our brains. It's an, as it's an aspect of the things that go on inside of our heads not something we necessarily act out. Now, sometimes we do things because we're anxious. Does this make sense? But being anxious happens between my two ears. Right? And then sometimes, because I'm anxious between my two ears, my body winds up doing something that maybe I should or shouldn't have done. I am motivated by the fact that I'm anxious. So, Paul is saying, don't do this. But he doesn't leave it there. He pulls one thing out of the hat and he says, put something else in. Do this. Think about these things. And he gives a list. And this is a pretty substantial list. He doesn't leave anything to question. So when the Philippians say, well, Paul, what shall we think about? I'll give you the list of things to think about. Anything that is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable. Wow. That really limits what we should think about. If there is any excellence or things worthy of praise, think about these things. So, 
the, uh, there's the definition of the Greek word count, calculate, enumerate, ponder, reckon, consider, compute, take inventory, estimate. Those are the things that we are supposed to do as opposed to what? As opposed to being anxious, as opposed to being anxious. And then he uses another term. What's the other term he uses? Practice. Now, what's the, what's the, what's the saying? Practice makes perfect. You know that that's wrong? It's wrong. And any good music teacher will tell you how that's wrong. Practice does not make perfect. Practice makes permanent. Practice makes permanent. Whatever you practice, that is what you will do. Perfect practice makes perfect. So it's really important to understand that practicing is crucial if you want to be good at something. But the thing that you're going to be good at is only as good as you're practicing. Just doing the practicing doesn't necessarily mean you're going to succeed. Practice makes permanent. Perfect practice makes perfect. So Paul then suggests that we practice. And he understands the concept of practice making permanent. And then he suggests that we practice what? He, that we practice the things that the Philippians learned, received, heard, and seen where? Ah, see, now this really becomes the rub. Because Paul is saying, and these are the basic four elements of education. We learn through these ways. We learn, we learn the process of learning. Learning is a process. Line upon line, precept upon precept. You learn your ABCs, then you learn how to, how to read, that sort of concept. We, we gain some things we just get. That's one way that, we, that we, we catch things, we understand things. Another thing is we hear some things, and other things we see some things. So Paul is saying there are four things that you got from me. You learned some things from me, you received things that you didn't work for. By the way, learning takes work. Sure, some things they didn't work for, some things they did work for, some things they saw in him and saw things they heard him say. And then he says, uh, and then he says, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Now, this is a challenge for us. Why is this a challenge for us? Because he ain't here. So we can't look at Paul and go, oh yeah, Paul, that's right. I received this from you. I learned this from you. I saw this from you and I, and I, and I heard this. We, we, we can't do that. We can't do that. We have other things. And we have two other things. First of, all, first of all, we have the scriptures. We have the canon of scriptures, which the Philippians did not have. They did not have. The, the, they, they may or may not have had gospels. I'm a little sketchy on my chronology right now. Whether they would have had whether they would have had something at that point in time, which we don't know exactly what they had. We know they had Paul, and we know they had a letter from him. And they probably had a few other letters because they got sent around. It's hard to know exactly. But we do, and so that is an advantage. And we also have something else, and that is we have each other. And what this does is this is an encouragement for the whole concept of discipleship. Because it is important for us to be in relationship with people who are wiser than ourselves. 
We need, there is an aspect of church. There is an aspect of church that is communicated through relationship. It's communicated on a one-on-one relationship with somebody who's no, who knows more of God than you do. And that's pretty much what Paul is saying. And so, and that's an encouragement. So I think we need, we need both. We have the scriptures, and then we also need to make certain that we are in relationship with people who are smarter than we are. And that's called discipleship, by the way. And if you do these things, the God of peace will be with you. Meta meaning together alongside. Who wouldn't want the God of peace to be alongside of you? Okay. Now, this is important. Um, it would be easy to, to say that, I'm not sure I'm going to communicate this terribly well, but I'm going to give this a shot. It would be easy to say that we, if we do all of these things, if we do all of these works, then we're going to get the blessing of God. If we do all of these things, if I, if I, uh, if I stand firm, if I, uh, if I rejoice in the Lord, if I, uh, yada, 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 and if I do all these things, then the God, and I'll have all these things. And I think we have to be careful here. Um, I think it's partly an issue of preparation. Uh, let's say um, I really want to take a shower. I really want to be blessed by a shower. And, um, and I'm sitting in my bedroom. Chances are I'm not going to get a shower if I stay in my bedroom. <laughs> Hopefully, right? Yeah, you're all like, what? <laughs> If I want to take a shower, I have to, I have to do particular things. I have to go into the, into the bathroom where the shower happens to be. I think it's important that we understand that many things that, that, that we see as preparations to promises are preparations, are locational preparations to promises. If it's raining over here... Or if the water fountain is over here, and I'm over here, and I really want to drink a water, I have to go over to the, where the water is. If I were to say to someone, man, I could really use some money, and the person over there, way over there, is saying, I've got some money you, you can have, I have to walk over to that person. There, there are things that we do that we prepare ourselves for the blessing of God. Does this make any sense? I don't feel like I'm communicating this terribly well. These are preparational issues. It's not an issue of if you don't do these things, God will not bless you. He will bless you. You just need to put yourself in that situation. It's kind of like when Jesus said, those who love me obey my commands. I mean, it's easy to flip that around and going, well... If you're, you know, if you're not going to play my game, I'm going to take my ball and go home. I mean, that kind of mentality. But Jesus is merely making a statement. He's making a statement of truth. Those who love me obey my commands. You want, you want to obey my commands and just love me. How do you learn to love me? Well, you let me love you and then you will love me in return. I mean, it isn't like we, we have to do something. It's a statement of truth. These are statements of position. You just need to walk over and make certain that if this is where it's raining and 
and you're over here and you want to be rained on, you just walk over to where it's raining and you get rained on. Okay. I'll leave that one as it is. We'll move on. Okay, so... 410. Now we're kind of getting to the end here. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every situation, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. So the first thing that Paul does is he rejoices in the Lord regarding the, the, the care the Philippians gave him. He acknowledges that they always cared, so this is kind of a setup. Then he makes a point of the sense of being in need, and then he throws the kicker at them, and that is being content. Now, I think this is probably one of the biggest challenges of 21st century America. I know it at least it is for this 21st century American is the concept of being content. You see, this is this concept of being content is not anything that I am going to be able to teach you. There are two basic elements of how we gain stuff. Some things I can teach you. But there are some things in life that you have to catch. And sometimes you don't catch them. No matter how many times they're thrown at you, sometimes you can't ooh, with one hand. So I think this, oh, good catch. <laughs> I think this concept that we're about to talk about is something that is caught, not taught. It's caught, not taught. And you've experienced, you've all experienced the, 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 the thing of catching something. The light bulb, boom! I get it, right? It is the greatest it's one of the greatest uh, pleasures of being, a, of being a teacher. When you're working with a student, all of a sudden, bong, the light bulb goes on, and the, then the student has it. And you know the student will never lose it because the student caught it. And the Holy Spirit needs to, needs to throw this at you, and you need to throw it at the Holy Spirit. You need to throw it at the Holy Spirit. No, don't do that. You need to catch it from the Holy Spirit. Because right now, this is not something I can teach you. The concept of contentment. Not something I can teach you. I can teach you the sequence of what, of what Paul has been talking about. Because this 
is the culminator. This culminates everything that Paul has been talking about in the fourth chapter, is the concept of being content. I think the only way we can do this is just to read a bunch of translations, and, and you have some of them in your notes. I think the reason why this is so hard for us is because everything that we are used to as being Americans and being human beings tells us to not be content. Every single advertisement that you have experienced in your entire life, the, ga- the, the purpose of it is to get a lack of contentment in you. What's the American dream? Bigger house, better job. Bigger house, better job. That's the American dream. This is the one thing that the three things that are going against me, the world, my flesh, and the enemy, this is probably the thing that they would love to make me do all the time is not be content. In fact, our entire economy is based on you not being content. Can you imagine what would happen to our economy if you were all content? Think about it. If you were, if you were entirely content, if the entire United States of America was comprised of everyone who was entirely content, what would happen to our economy? How funny is that? How funny is that? That's something worth meditating on. What, what does that mean? So this whole concept of contentment is something that we can understand but we have a hard time catching. So I encourage you to open your ears and attempt to catch this. So here's the... I'm just, so we're just going to read a, a bunch of different translations. We may not read all of these. There are a bunch of them on your, on your notes. This is the New American Standard. Not that I speak from want, but I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means. I know how to live in prosperity. In every every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both having abundance and suffering need. Here's the Amplified. Not that I am implying that I was in any way in personal want, for I have learned how to be content, satisfied to the point of not being disturbed or disquieted. Interesting definition of content. In whatever state I am, I know how to be abased and live humbly in straitened circumstances. I know also how to enjoy plenty and live in abundance. Here's a, 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 a translation you may not be aware of. Kenneth Wiest, he's known for, if it takes one word to translate a particular Greek word, he'll use eight. It is not that I speak as regards a need, for so far as I'm concerned, I have come to learn in the circumstances in which I am placed to be independent of these and self-sufficient. I know, in fact, how to discipline myself in lowly circumstances. I know, in fact, how to conduct myself when I have more than enough. In everything and in all things, I have learned the secret, both to be satiated and to be hungry, to have more than enough and to lack. Here's the... Uh, the um, New English... Trans- the English... Uh, what's it called? English, new English translation, something like that. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content in in any circumstance. I have experienced times of need and times of abundance. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of contentment, 
whether I go satisfied or hungry, have plenty or nothing. Um, a, a literal translation from, um, uh, forgotten his first name, Donald Green, I think. Not that I speak as to need, for I have learned to be content in whatever state I am. I know how to be humble and I know how to abound. In everything and in all things, I am taught both to be filled and to hunger, both to abound and to lack. Let's move on to the J.B. Phillips. Yep. Nor do I mean that I have been in actual need, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances may be. I know how to live when things are difficult. I know how to live when things are prosperous. In general and in particular, I have learned the secret of facing either plenty or poverty. You getting the concept of what's happening here? There are many more that we could read. Um, and we'll just press on. There's the Barclay. That's a really interesting one. Again, you have it in your, in your notes. The New Living, the message. Actually, the message is interesting. We'll read the message. Actually, I don't have a sense of, of needing anything personally. I've learned by now to be quite content whatever my circumstances. I'm just as happy with little as, as with much. With as much as with little. I've found the recipe for being happy, either full or hungry, hands full or hands empty. Okay, so, what, so, so we need to be, we, there are some questions we need to ask. Again, it's all about questions. So what are the questions we need to ask? First of all, what did Paul experience to come to this place of contentment? What did Paul experience? That's one question we have to ask. The second question is, what did Paul do while he was experiencing these things? What was the process? What was going on inside of him? And the third thing, because Paul makes this clear in every single one of those translations, what was the secret? He kept using the word secret. Eugene Peterson I think that's the guy who did the message. Okay. Called it the recipe. What was the secret? So these are questions that we have to ask. So, what did Paul experience? And the answer is what? He had to experience both. He experienced both prosperity and poverty. You can't be content in something unless you've worked through it, right? So he had to experience both prosperity and poverty. Those were necessary. That was the layout. That was the formula. God put him through those. Now the question is, what did he do during that? Now, obviously, you know what the, what the, the next question after all these questions the next one is going to be which is how do we learn these things and we're going to find that they're the same so what did he do remember now this is the culmination of everything that's been that he's talked about in the fourth chapter what did he do this is not a rhetorical question what did he do Very first thing. Before he rejoiced. 
something in the Lord. Stand. Correct. Stand firm in the Lord. That's the first thing he did. Then what did he do? Then he rejoiced in the Lord. And then what did he do? Okay, do you get the point? Do you see? Do you see how Paul is creating? Now he's bringing all of this, all of this to bear on this one thing because he knows this is the hardest thing for human beings to experience is contentment. And, and if I may be deductive for a moment, somewhere else he says contentment with godliness is great gain. So this is not just something he's throwing at the Philippians. So, he had to experience things, and the things he did was that he stood firm, he offered, he, he related with Jesus, he offered by prayers, and, by prayers and with thanksgiving, all of his petitions, supplication, thanksgiving, there we go, I have it. He did all of these things. He did all of these things, the things he thought he did all of these. That's how he got where he's going. We need to do the same. Now, what's the last question? Because this is the important one. What's the last question? What was Paul's secret? What was Paul's secret? I'll bet you already know it, right? Verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, this is the question we need to ask. What is the all things? Remember, keep it in context. What is the all things? Poverty and prosperity. Correct. Those are the all things. I can do all things. I can experience poverty and prosperity with contentment through him who strengthens me. Through him who allows me to do all these things. The person through him I am standing. The person through him I am, worship, I, I am rejoicing. The person through him I am offering prayers and supplications. The person through him I am getting the, the peace all of these things. But you also see how the all things is limited to the passage, to the context. I'll get on a little bit of a soapbox for a moment. I think we pull this verse out of context. And we use it as an excuse to try things. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can jump off this building and not get hurt through all things. You know, that's a little stupid. But how many of us have used that as a blanket? I can do this through him who strengthens me. Whatever the, this, the, the, this, this is. Because I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I, we pull this out of context. And we get in trouble. Because the Lord's just really not interested in our interpretations. <laughs> the all things has to do with the prosperity and the poverty. The aspect of, commit, of contentment. That's what it's all about. So we have to be careful here. Again, how we read certain things, make sure we stay within the context. So, 
This is the great mystery. This is the great catch. This is the thing that either you'll, you'll catch or you won't. And this isn't anything necessarily that any of us kind of go, boing, I've got it, I'm content. This is a process because I think it took Paul a long time to learn this. When was he writing this? He was at the end of his life. He was towards the end of his life. He was in the last numbers of years of his life. Sorry, I couldn't, I, I, again, I don't, I don't have uh, the, uh, I don't remember when he died. But we do know this was towards the end. This was after he had, had done both of his missionary trips. So it was towards the end of his life. My guess is that the Holy Spirit took quite a number of years. Remember who this guy was? This is the guy who was so discontent at the church that he was killing people. He was so discontent that he was, felt he was doing God's will by murdering, by throwing people in jail. That was a statement of how discontent he was. And so the Lord brought him from there all the way to the place where sitting in prison, he can say, happy as a clam, man. Happy as a clam. A little, lot, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Because I have learned the secret. Oh, the cool thing about the word secret. It means to be initiated into mysteries. Forgot about that. Forgot to tell you that. To be initiated into mysteries. That's what the word secret means. So this is something that nobody else knows. The rest of the human race has no idea how to be content. They want to. They like to. Ooh. <laughs> A little bit of reverb there. But they have no idea. Because they don't have the secret. And the secret is doing it in Jesus. That's the secret. That's the secret. And that, I think, becomes the culminating point here. The culminating point of this whole thing. And this is the thing that needs meditation. Standing firm, rejoicing, guarding our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, doing all things in the Lord This is pretty deep stuff. Um, I was trying to think of a good term for this, but I couldn't come up with one. So the only, only one I could come up with this is deep meat. <laughs> it's deep meat. It's a... And it's not something that you, you, you won't get unless you chew on it for a while. You know, whether, wh- it doesn't matter what your, your interest or your, uh, your, your culinary interests or, or bent or leaning is, the imagery of meat is a good one because meat requires chewing. It simply requires it. And these are things that require chewing. And by the Holy Spirit, we meditate on them. We sit on them. We think about them. We ask the Lord, what does this mean to me? What are you trying to tell me? What am I trying supposed to be learning here? Okay. So it is my hope that you're all in the process of catching this. And if I've, if I've helped you in the process of catching this, fantastic. But it's nothing that I can teach you. I can't teach myself. I is in the process as well, learning how to be content. And, and it, well, hopefully I'll get there before I get thrown in prison.
And finally, and this is the end finally, I think, the last thing. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift. Paul is a consummate teacher. He's thanking them, but he throws in a little bit of extra. A little bit of extra. A little hint that there's a little bit more here than just taking care of a person's needs. Oh, golly, he's so good. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. What the heck does that mean? It means there are two sides of a coin here, right? This is great. This is great. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. A fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Another thing. Another little thing. It's not just, hey, dude, you paid my rent for me. Thanks, man. There are two additional things here. It's a sacrifice that is pleasing to God, and it's a credit to your account. What do those things mean? It does say something about, it puts different perspectives about the whole concept of giving. So he hints at something more. And we'll just leave it at that. Because that's, that's, <laughs> that could be another one in and of itself. And then 19, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Now, here's one we need to unpack just a little bit. Am I in the right spot? Yeah. And my God will supply every need according of yours according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul uses the word need, right? Whose definition? The word is, um, he will supply every need of yours, or the Net Bible says your every need. Whose definition of your need or every need of yours? Whose definition? This is really important. Whose definition? Yours? Yours? Your definition of your need? Eh, wrong answer. Whose definition of your need? God's definition of your need. Those may be enormously different things. This is key. This is key, folks. He will supply your need, his opinion of your need, because he really knows what you need. You don't really know what you need. You think you know what you need, but you don't really know what you need. You know what you want. You know what you want. In fact, you really don't know what you want. You've been in that situation, haven't you? Where you thought you wanted X and really you wanted Z. You know, that sort of thing. You wanted one thing, but really found out later you really wanted something else, but you didn't know. And if you'd known, you would have wanted that other thing instead of that thing. I mean, that's just kind of human nature, right? Those are the wants. Those aren't the needs. So Paul is making a point here. God will supply all your needs, not your wants and not your opinion of your needs. And by the way, this also goes back to when he says, don't be anxious, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known unto God. With thanksgiving, sorry, 
forget that. And dot, 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 dot. So he's wrapping all this thing and putting it into a bow and sending it off as a, as a present back to the Philippians. According to, the rich, according to God's riches in, of glory in Christ Jesus. I think there are two limits to this. Two limits to, to uh, his, rich, his glory. I'm sorry. <laughs> tying my tongue. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I think there are two limits to the quote, his riches and glory, because that's how you're going to get your needs met, right? According to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus, right? Is that what it says? That's what's limiting the first part. We'll supply every need according to this. You get A according to B. What limits B? I think there are two things that limit B. We've already talked about one. It's his perception of your needs. That's limit one. The second limit, I think, is our ability to be content. Our ability to be content. That's what limits. That's what limits it. And then, finally, he says, To our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. And where is God's glory? In Jesus. So really, ultimately, it's all about Jesus. Which we kind of knew from the beginning. Which, if you remember the very first sentence, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. The beginning and the end. It's all about Jesus. Everything else is a process. It's all about Jesus. So, Jesus, it is all about you. And I pray, Lord, that, that you would help us catch this. Help us catch the ability to be content. You are not a respecter of persons. You taught Paul. You can teach us. And we're so appreciative, Holy Spirit, that you are the great teacher and that you never give up on us. Holy Spirit, please do not give up on us. Holy Spirit, we want to be content in the things that you give us, both poverty and prosperity. We want that. We want to find ourselves able to say with Paul. Like so many things that he said in this tremendous book, this tremendous letter, we want to be able to say that we desire to know you and the power of your resurrection and the fellowship of your suffering. We want to be able to say that. We want to be able to say that, that our lives are compared to you or nothing. So many things, Lord Jesus, we want, to, we want to line up with Paul and agree with him. And we thank you, Lord, that you are the great teacher. You will not give up on us. And Jesus, we do not want to give up on you. Lord, I want to thank you for all the stuff that I've learned in the process of, of doing this book. 
I feel that I feel that I am I understand so many things so much more so much better much more deeply and and I'm just appreciative of that and I pray that that um, that you would continue to be the great teacher for all of us we love you Jesus it is all about you and we are so glad it's all about you amen Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for uh, letting me do these 11 sets. I hope that you have enjoyed them. You couldn't have enjoyed them nearly as much as I have. So I have thoroughly enjoyed them. And you are released. Amen. So can anybody tell me why I was throwing around a dog toy with teeth? Anybody tell me? Anybody tell me? For fun? Yes? What? Chewing on meat! When I shared that with my beloved wife this morning, she did this. So, go home and chew on meat. Things are